What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. guys welcome back to our athlete diary series two new faces here well one semi-frequent face of the podcast thomas how you doing today doing all right how are you very good and another brand new face but not new to the gifted performance team is mr ryan patterson patterson how goes it yeah what's up thomas ryan how y'all doing doing great doing great what was for breakfast this morning I actually don't have a lot, so I had uh, bacon and Trix marshmallows and a protein <laughs> shake. <laughs> so, my yeah, that's my breakfast. Yeah. Hey, nice hey, balanced what, meal. What, what, are you, what are you weighing in at these days, Patterson? Uh, about 185. Really trying right. to you know, up our Kills. calories, get into the gym. I'm at like 250. <laughs> so. so we're at a girthy 115 kilos for you communist unit folks. Um, Thomas, what are you weighing in at? Uh, you know, I think that that's a HIPAA violation. I can't discuss that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. So now that we've all weight shamed each other, we've all fat shamed each other, we can actually get into what we're going to discuss today. So today's discussion is going to be centered around the coach-athlete relationship between Thomas and Patterson, kind of how they met up, what was Ryan's previous training history before that, the most recent meet, and then what the plans are moving forward. So just Starting off very, very generally here, Patterson, when did you actually start lifting weights? And kind of just give me a rundown of when you started and maybe what the focus was. So I started lifting weights as a sophomore in high school at South Gwinnett um, High School. And it was uh, there that I met my high school strength and conditioning coach, whose name is Corey Dickerson. And man, I just fell in, lo in love with it right then and there. And so all that that first four years throughout high school was all barbell related um and i would describe it as is a lot of fun man like it was just me and my best friends in a weight room just getting after it and so that's what kind of set the stage for uh where we are now and that kind of gave me the motivation to train cool so take me through like what a what a session of, of lifting would look like back then for you was it very squat bench deadlift focused were we throwing in some some of those like high school power cleans, the deadlift and reverse curl. What was what were those first experiences for you? Was there a lot of technique work? Where did you start? Yeah, so it was it was a lot of squatting, benching, and deadlifting, but we did do some Olympic derivatives. But it was your typical high school power lean with the knees caved in, barbell down here on your chest, and like shrugging it up at the end. But I mean, it was still fun to do all that kind of stuff and set that base. So that's exactly how it looked. <laughs> There's no style points, right, Thomas? There's only makes and misses. That's right. That's it, yeah. <laughs> so 
moving forward from that point, when did you kind of focus the majority? When did powerlifting become the focus? When were we saying, all right, I want to squat and bench and deadlift the most that I possibly can? Right. That powerlifting became the focus after I graduated from college in 2017. So throughout my entire baseball career, we lifted weights and you know, I still even kind of did my own powerlifting training on the side, even though I didn't have a clue of what I was doing. But it became powerlifting focus in 2018 when my strength and conditioning coach from my junior year of college just kind of contacted me and said, "Hey, like you're you're kind of strong. Let's give this let's give this a shot." And so she started she started programming for me, and then I did my first meet uh, in early 2018. So I've been powerlifting now for I guess two years, right at two years. Okay. And, and you're a smart dude. You've got the qualifications as well, right? Talk me through kind of like your education and your certification background. So I got my, thank you for calling me smart, by the way. That means a lot coming from you, big I'm, guy. Uh, I know Thomas <laughs> doesn't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, got my, I got my bachelor's in health science from Armstrong, but that really didn't do anything for me, man. I didn't pay a lot of attention there, uh, and I was just worried about playing baseball. Um, and then after that, I started working at Lifetime as a personal trainer. And I think there's like a psychological term for this, but it's where you like, you're not exposed to a lot and you feel like you know everything. And then you suddenly are exposed to a lot. And it's like, can I cuss on this? Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, it's like, holy shit. I really don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know what I mean? And so that's when I decided I need to get my master's. Um, because just my confidence and my self-efficacy just started to do this. And so I uh, got my master's and I'll, I'll graduate in like two weeks with that. And then all the while I got my uh, CSCS as well. So those are the three credentials that I have so far. Thomas, you want to jump in? What's that called? What was he going through? The, the Dunning-Kruger effect? Yeah. Okay. So it's the, you learn a little and all of a sudden... <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was some so, kind of term. Kind of with your educational background, looking back on some of those first programs that you were following, what what do you think of those looking in retrospect with what you know now? How do you feel about kind of some of that programming? Man, that's a great question. So, and I'll, I'll refer to like one specific textbook, which is the essentials of, of strength and conditioning. And that was the only thing that I existed in. You know what I mean? It was your typical five by fives. It was your three by tens. It was the three to one paradigm of let's progressive overload for three weeks and then deload for one week. And looking back in retrospect, I just felt like I existed between these concrete set of parameters. You know what I mean? And I didn't know how the hell to program outside of that. Uh, so looking back now, although that, that stuff is fine, it's like, man, I, I have gained so much more knowledge and how to actually apply this stuff to real life. Absolutely. So even with kind of what you would say was suboptimal programming back there, how did you do in that first powerlifting meet? Give me some numbers, how you placed, were you happy with your performance, et cetera? So uh, in my first powerlifting meet, which was in early 2018, I say, I think I won, I think I squatted 575. I think I benched 360 with a hitch and it should have been red lighted and i pulled 600 um 
and that was doing your very like kind of academic programs of hey we're going to start out with a three by ten let's do some hypertrophy then let's get into some five by fives and then let's do like some three by threes and that's exactly what i did and that led me to that was around like a 1560 1570 performance on the uh, platform yeah well during that time i would say you certainly hypertrophized a lot you could have taken home the hypertrophy you are (laughs) quite a stout lad so kind of the last question that I'll ask you in this section before we kind of get into some stuff with Thomas is, so there's a logical transition for you here. It's away from powerlifting, a sport that no one cares about, and it's into bodybuilding, right. a sport where you can get oiled up, get on stage, and get the adoration of literally dozens of people. You could increase <laughs> your follower count by, I mean, probably a couple hundred at least. So when you at do least. make that transition, how do you think that you're going to break it to Thomas that the sport that he has really built his, his empire around just doesn't mean anything. How do you think you'll do that? Well, here's the question I'll ask you. Is it, is it Thomas or is it you that's going to be doing the oiling? Cause that's going to determine whether I make the switch or not. Well, Thomas would screw it up. So I'm, I'm going to take over all, you won't have to worry about anything. You can move in with me. I'll right. grease you up every morning, <laughs> take you out to the garage, train you. And then when the podcast is over, we'll go over some other stuff that we'll do as well. Okay. Yeah. That's outside the okay. podcast, though, right? Okay, yeah, so yeah, that's that's yeah, I've got that recorded now, so that's as good as signing in blood. So Thomas, <laughs> I am the captain now. <laughs> you know, it's uh, we'll get into OnlyFans content later, okay? <laughs> <laughs> We're not trying to violate YouTube terms of service, but all right. So let's kind of move forward. When did you actually first link up and start working with Thomas? I think that you met. Paul, you knew Paul first, or maybe you knew Kyle first? Yeah, so I, Paul Serafini, is is Paul Italian or is he, is he Asian? Because I thought of a nickname for him, but I didn't know if he's Italian or Asian. He's, he's, he's a, a Korean, Korean Jesus. Oh, I'm just going to call him the Italian Stallion then, because that's what I was going to call him regardless. Perfect. So, Paul Italian Stallion Serafini, he is a, uh, he was a student in the graduate program at KSU and he was a year above me and I got to know him a little bit more and I saw some of the people he was working with and some of the content that he was putting out and I just knew that he was a very knowledgeable guy and so I originally went to Paul for uh, programming I said hey Paul like I like what you're doing man I want to be a part of your team and Paul actually was humble enough to say you know what man even though I'd like to take you on uh, we have this other guy, Thomas Neal, who really kind of specializes in this. And so Paul put me on to Thomas. And so shout out to Paul for being humble and uh, kind of putting me in the right direction. Cool. So kind of what what did the early days look like, Thomas? What was take me through kind of like the intake? What was going through your mind when you first started? Were you like, wow, we've 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 struck gold here? Or were you like, look at this, just another that's another peon that I have to work with. So, uh, honestly, I had just gotten done going on a, I, I had been ranting to Paul about how I hated when people came to me like, Hey, I got to meet in six weeks. Can you get me some programming? <laughs> Cause you know, at like six weeks, it's, it's pretty late in the game. Right. And so literally maybe, maybe a day later after Paul and I had talked about that and he's like, yeah, man, I totally agree. That's really annoying. He's like, hey, I got this guy. He wants, he he needs some programming. I'm like, all right. He goes, you want him? And I was like, well, sure. Yeah, he, he seems like he's pretty strong. He goes, all right. He wants to compete in eight weeks. And so, so like this, this whole thing started off with like me being very annoyed with Paul 
for like, yeah, man, <laughs> man, short preps, those suck. Hey, here, here, you know, here's this problem. So uh, anyways, I, I kind of put together the best I could. We were real fortunate with Ryan that it wasn't like he needed a whole lot of base building to, uh, to get ready because he, he, was, he was already a really big kid, already really strong. Um, and so we just kind of had to figure out where he was in, the, uh, in his preparation and try to bring him into land. They did did great in the first meet. I think did you uh, get your first uh, squad at over six hundred in competition? In yeah, first meet? squad at uh, over six hundred at six thirty five. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I think we had a had a pretty solid outing that day. Uh, given the short prep, it was uh, it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, turned yeah. out better than expected. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I PR'd in, in every meet in competition, so it was for the time that I gave you. It was a really good uh, meet prep for sure. Oh yeah, and what and you know the 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 kind of the subtext to the annoyance of short preps is a lot of times when you get people that want to do a short short prep, they're uh, they're kind of impulsive, wishy washy types, uh, you know, like guys who have been gym lifters forever, and they're like, oh, I'm going to do a meet, and uh, and they jump in, they want to go too hard, too fast, they don't want to commit the real time to to you know being an athlete in the sport, and uh, you know you you'll pull your hair out trying to get them ready and they'll skip workouts and max out randomly. And there's all sorts of uh, personality issues that normally come right. with somebody that wants a short prep. And Ryan didn't have any of those. He was, he's about as close to the perfect client as you can get. He, you, you give him something to do and he goes and does it. He has a question he asks and you know, he's, he's almost a robot, which worked great with me. You know, <laughs> yeah, we're both like robots. Relative to my programming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just downloaded his software, and you guys were good to go. Yeah, we're running this. <laughs> Thomas, take me through in terms of like the coaching side of things. When you do get someone at eight weeks out, and you really know almost nothing about the individual, what are the first couple steps that you kind of go through? What's what's the what's your needs analysis process when you bring someone on that close to competition? Uh, I, I usually start with asking what they've been doing, um, and from there. You know, if, if what they've been doing kind of lines up with uh, them being physically ready to jump into contest preparation, uh, and, you know, eight, eight weeks, you, you really don't have a whole lot of time to, to, to push before you can hit your taper. Um, so if you've got somebody that's, you know, I, I guess there's, there's three scenarios that you could get into with this. Uh, you've got the person that's coming off the couch, basically, hasn't been training hard, uh, doesn't even really have much work capacity banked currently. Uh, and those are the usual people I say, listen, let's find something in 16 weeks or 20 weeks. This is, we're, we're going to set ourselves back by trying to rush this. And then you have this person, the, the guy that's been training more like a powerlifter, and maybe he's he's got a pretty good work capacity. He's been training heavy. His, his body's used to heavy loading. Uh, and then it's just a matter of kind of dialing in the volume Um finding where they can uh, kind of catch the wave and ride it in. And then you've got the guy, uh, and this is probably most powerlifters that have been, you know, maxing out and hitting heavy doubles and triples every week for the past 64, 85 weeks, whatever, um, haven't deloaded. And usually those guys, if you, if you throw them a little bit of, uh, you almost put them on a, a longer, like an eight week taper and, and have them, have them lifting heavier weights, but for, uh, you know, lower RP on an individual set, kind of get their body uh, out of the red in terms of recovery. 
and uh, and they usually can coast in pretty well as you know as well as you could hope for someone who's been yoloing for the past three years. So it's, and the, the the percentage split there, what would you say in terms of person one, person two, person three? Would you say the majority are of like serious powerlifters are probably in that third category? Um, I try to do my best, and this is going to sound bad. Try to do my best to screen out the the person ones uh, if they're they're dead set on doing a meet in eight weeks and they haven't been able to train consistently for um, you know six months or whatever. Then I, if if they don't uh, take the advice and plan something a little further out, I usually try to move them along because um, it's it's just not going to be productive if if they can't uh, agree to the the philosophy there, the long-term plan. Uh, probably the majority, though, are person three. I'd say 60% are guys who have been, been lifting heavy. And, and you know, there's, so, it, there's not necessarily a bad thing because it's it's a guy that's not afraid of heavier weights, likes to lift heavy. It's just a, a matter of their ability to overcome the, the impulse to max out. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, if we're talking – so if we're talking coaching philosophy uh, – Ryan, what was kind of, or how, describe to me your experience of, of working with Thomas kind of in like Twitter format relatively quickly compared to like working with other coaches or maybe coaching yourself. Right. So, um, one thing that I did want to say is, um, you know, I think I could very easily, easily be perceived as one of those, uh, number three guys who just wants to lift heavy and, and do that all the time. But the good thing is, and I'll just say this for any athlete out there, if you want to hire a coach, the mindset that you have to go into that relationship with is you need to submit all of your authoritative control of your programming to that person. And that's going to create the best relationship possible because that's why I hired Thomas in the first place. So that's just the, the first thing that I'll say about all that. But secondarily, Working with Thomas in general, you know, and it's interesting, I found Thomas because, um, like I said, I only existed within this, like, very academic side of programming. And Thomas has challenged all of that for me. And I've had several conversations with Thomas where I'm like, hey, man, do you want to, like, write a book about any of this stuff or anything? He's like, no, I just, I just try to be pragmatic and practical. And I'm like, dude, just admit that you're fucking good. You know what I mean? <laughs> just admit that you're good at this. But he's he stayed humble and... and uh, in all in all of our conversations but um there's three things that i think thomas has really kind of helped me realize about programming the first one is um thomas keeps the goal the goal right so my goal as a power lifter is to be as strong as i can come meet day it's not necessarily doing uh setting prs and training so thomas has done an amazing job of taking me through an entire program that has set me up to succeed on the platform. And that's what we did on this last meet where I hit some, you know, pretty big PRs. Um, and then number two is Thomas is going to, he's going to push you. He's going to push you really, really hard. I've done the hardest training that I've ever done in my life with Thomas. Um, and I love that. You know what I mean? He's, he's kind of uh, helped me realize that I'm much more capable of what I actually am. And then the third thing I'll say is Thomas understands, and this goes back to your point about uh, powerlifters just wanting to lift heavy all the time. Thomas understands that strength doesn't exist only within uh, the terms of like maximum strength. And so 
the example I'll use for this is I want to say Thomas had me doing high bar squats for like eight weeks with nothing above 400 pounds. And I was doing 15 repetitions uh, for four sets. And then we did that. And I think we took a deload and then we did some other stuff after that. That was all high bar. And then we introduced the low bar squat. And this was the beginning of my meat prep for this last one. And I squatted 645. So that's the most I'd ever squatted up to that point. So Thomas understands that it doesn't only necessarily take one type of training to produce the end result. And so those three things I really found out about Thomas and, and that has really challenged the way that I think about programming in general. So I'm, a, I'm really appreciative of that uh, as in hiring Thomas as my coach. Yeah, I think I think I heard Thomas say one time and I, I'm sure he stole it from someone else that bastard that he is talk he talked about raising the raising the uh what would you say raising the floor to raise the ceiling floor floor and ceiling yeah just just um sort of the concept that there's there's baseline capacities uh and you can't always push at the limits uh you know metaphorically the ceiling of what you can do sometimes you have to raise the baselines um and so a lot of what i do and and the the periodization model that I use um, is is semi concurrent in that regard, but we're always trying to improve uh, general capacities and the um, you know the, the ability of the body to tolerate heavy loads, awkward positions, and uh, and for powerlifting, rigidity is key, right? Um, being able to stay stable. Um, so everything we do is kind of woven together. Um, with increasing the ability to handle the, the training and then also the uh, the specific outputs of the competition lifts. So, um, yeah, floor and, and ceiling. Ryan, good. Um, on your end, is, since this is this is all kind of probably something new to you, you had never heard this stuff before. You'd never heard about building a bigger engine or, you know, limiting right. how much time you spent up near the ceiling and, you know, raising the floor. I'm sure a lot of this stuff was relatively new to you coming from that kind of like academic strength and conditioning background. Mm -hmm. Was there any apprehension in those early days for you where you were like, oh, I, I don't know about this guy, Thomas. Was there any, any moments like that that you had? Uh, no, fortunately there wasn't because number one, I trusted Paul's judgment and I knew that he was going to put me you know, on the right path. And then number two, like I said, you know, I made the personal decision to trust this guy and just submit all of my control to him. So there wasn't any apprehension there. Now, if he had sent me some, something like that I've already been doing in that first string of workouts, I think there would have been some apprehension. But the first thing he sent me, I was like, oh, okay, I like this. I can dig this. And then as, as time went on and I got a better understanding of what he was trying to do, it was nothing but Hey, I'm fully on board. Like, I trust you. Let's do this. And I'm just going to do whatever you tell me. And, uh, well, and we're also fortunate, I guess, with the, the first prep being a shorter one, uh, mm -hmm. we kind of jumped in with some meat on the bone for him. So that kind of created some buy-in, you know, he's, yep. I think, I think his first workout, he was hitting like a heavy set of four, you know, at like a yep. RPE of nine. So, you know, it wasn't like he was coming in like, all right, Ryan, we're going to, we're going to spend the next five weeks squatting for sets of 20 it wasn't it wasn't like that <laughs> so by the time we got to the weird stuff the the, the stuff that powerlifters generally want to avoid i think he was pretty on board the uh the gain train he'd already had some some good results and some feedback and kind of 
you know, created that, uh, that, uh, investment. Cool. So, all right. So meet one is done. We've hit some PRs, got some good buy-in going. We're really, really starting to pick up some steam as we head into this next phase. Let's go into kind of this next meet prep. So mm -hmm. the last meet where you absolutely blew out the previous PRs, we're talking humongous hundred, a hundred plus pound total PR, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so where were we going into the final few months before that meet kind of, and Thomas or Ryan, you could take me through here. What did training look like? How are we doing? What, what kind of what movements were we hitting? What what PRs were looking at? How are we feeling about training? And Ryan, I'll let you start. So I'll touch on the uh, the psychological side of things. If Thomas, if you want to talk about the training aspect and want to and want to head it off with that, that works. Um, so training wise, uh, leading into the last meet, I think we had gosh it was what august to february to prep uh, i think i think the first meet was in august of 19 and i think the the, the last meet you did was in february of 20 so we had a six months mm -hmm. um for the the first three months or so we ran a sort of a, a bodybuilding phase uh but oriented towards the uh the demands of powerlifting um so so looking at the the structural requirements of the squat bench deadlift for, for the Ryan's technique and how he lifts the areas that we needed to shore up structurally. Uh, we did a lot of reps, like he was saying, I think, I think he went like three months uh, without going over four or five on the back squat. And he was hitting just, just absurd gross things like three sets of 15 to 20 at 350 pounds. Um, I just remember being repeatedly amazed at, at some of the stuff he was doing in training you know, within the parameters, uh, that I laid out. Um, that was help by the way. Yeah. 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 It was, there was some fun stuff in there. And then all this time, you know, we, we never fully deviated from, from some heavy lifts. It wasn't like he went three months without lifting anything heavy, but it, it may have been his back squats didn't go over four or five, but we had some front squats over four or five. Some, uh, some heavy, uh, axially loaded efforts, they kind of keep him primed up. So it wasn't like he was jumping into meat prep, you know, his first time seeing a, a heavy five or a heavy three on anything. Um, but we rolled through that. I think we got through the holidays and we, uh, we ran sort of a, a brief intensification period around Christmas time where he got to lift some heavy weights, play with some, some tempo, uh, movements, some, uh, um, emphasized eccentrics, uh, overspeed eccentrics. We did some fun stuff with some bands, uh, to kind of tune them up. And then we went into, from that into, uh, more traditional heavy training. Uh, you know, he did a lot of fobs, a lot of threes and, um, and, uh, we built that up and, and sort of layered those adaptations on, uh, had them really, really strong. And then, you know, once, once you get from 16 weeks to four weeks out, the last four weeks tend, tends to be where everyone overthinks it. And really, we just kind of brought him in for a landing at that point. He uh, did another little short wave of the high neurological stuff, the eccentrics, uh, overspeed, tempo, et cetera. A um, couple weeks of heavy singles, doubles to, to tune it up and brought him in for a landing and he crushed it. 
Yeah, so Ryan, talk me through kind of what you were thinking, the psychology aspect as you went along there. Psychology aspect of doing 15s to 20 at 350, it sucks, right? Am I about right there? <laughs> yeah, it sucks. I felt like there was one session where I literally thought my head was going to explode because of all the pressure that I experienced during that last set. But um, just kind of getting back to that meat prep in those final few months, I knew there were some things that I needed to change uh, psychologically that was just going to allow me to perform on the platform. And I experienced this a lot when I was playing college baseball. A lot of the times I would perform just uh, afraid to fail. You know what I mean? I would I would perform like avoiding failure and, and being afraid to uh, mess up in front of anyone. And that always held me back. And whenever I was at my best, I just, I let out there, I went out there and I let my balls hang. You know what I mean? I just... <laughs> I just performed to the best of my ability. And so I wanted to take that same mindset going into this next meet. So I decided that I was just going to take ownership of everything, ownership of all uh, success or failure. Um, and then that is uh, where my headspace was at this meet, as opposed to some of the previous meets that I've done before. And making that switch, I think, played huge dividends uh, come meet day. Right on. So in terms of like gaps in your game, you thought you kind of pinpointed the psychology of it. Was there anything else that you saw about your lifting that you thought, man, that might come to, to, to bite me in the ass on game day? Yeah. So in terms of the, the physical sense and the way I lift, squatting wise, I tend to squat very, very deep and I try to really bounce out of the hole. And sometimes that'll get me in trouble because I'll get to the sticking point and have no have none of that uh, stretch shortening cycle left to help me through the sticking point. So I kind of worked on just maintaining a little bit more tension uh, throughout the descent of the squat, maybe not going as deep. And then that would allow me to power through that sticking point that I experienced. So that's one thing that I worked on bench. Uh, I'm just not a very good bencher and that's kind of my, my uh, relative weak lift, but there's a few things that I played around with, with there and not tucking my elbows and, kind of working on some technical aspects with that that I won't get too in depth with but that helped and then for deadlifts I had always hooked grip in every meet that I've been in uh, so far but for some reason like three or four weeks out I couldn't hook grip anymore and I didn't know why and that was I was really inhibiting my deadlift so I just made the the decision like two weeks out from my lift to uh, or excuse me two weeks out from the meet to go mixed grip and it worked so luckily that that fell through. Um, so in terms of, you know, strengths and weaknesses and filling in gaps in, in my game, it was that making that psychological switch and just fishing, fit, fixing a few technical aspects as well. Sweet. So this is, uh, I love talking about this stuff. Let's talk about the juicy stuff. Let's talk numbers. How did we do? Okay. How'd, the, how'd the meat go? And, and were you happy with your performance? Yeah, I was, I was ecstatic, man. I was, I was, uh, I was beyond myself. So I squatted 700, I benched, I want to say 403, and I pulled, I want to say 683. And if we look at my performance before that, I squatted 635, benched like 385, and pulled 635. So like we said, that's 100 plus pounds on my total, whereas that meet I did like 1650 maybe, and then I totaled 1791. So... And what what was the total meat prep time, Thomas? Was it was it um, how many how many months? Oh, it was about six months. Six months. 
20, yeah, 20 24 weeks, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, it was, I think, early August for the previous yeah. meet. I think we, we took like a week or two off there after that and then uh, and then jumped in, except for maybe a week or two around the holidays, uh, right through the early February. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, in, in six months, we put on that much of my total. And considering that I've been strength training for almost 10 years now, that's the most progress that I've ever made in my life. So, I couldn't be anything more than happy with the results. And if I know anything about strength training, it's that progress is always linear. It stays linear forever from what I've read. So two years, we should see 400 extra pounds on your total, right? Something like close to 2,200. Yeah, that'd be cool. Why not, right? I'd have to get up into that. Thomas? you know, I, I know, I know you're being cheeky, but but it really wouldn't surprise me with this guy's <laughs> <laughs> only scratching the surface. So we did talk a little bit about psychology there. I want to dip back into the psychology kind of of the performance, and and this is kind of like a deep meta question. But you said that you were really happy about your performance. Hat, now that we're kind of a couple months removed from the meet, do you still look back at that and say? man, like, I'm still super proud of that. I'm really, really happy with that performance. Or for you, is it more of like, a, all right, on to the next one. Let's keep stacking this up. Let's keep going. Or maybe is it a mixture of both? Yeah, so it's definitely it's definitely a mixture of both, man, because that 700-pound that squat was a huge milestone for me. And the way that I thought about this question was I can look back on, and I'll just still use the squat, squat as an example, I can think back on all the milestones in my life where I hit a new squat number. You know what I mean? I remember hitting 315 for the first time uh, in the high school weight room. I remember hitting 405 as a senior. I remember squatting 495 in college. I remember squatting 585 at Lifetime Fitness with a Harbringer belt. You know what I mean? And then I remember squatting 675 in this meat prep and then finally 700. And, you know, if, if those milestones were closer together and it's like hey i squatted 405 and then a week later week later i squatted 495 it wouldn't be that big of a deal but there's so much training and hard work that goes in between each of those milestones and that makes it so much more it just makes me so much more grateful for all those milestones so yes i'm extremely happy with where i am but i'm never going to be complacent and i'm still looking at totaling you know 18 1900 and then hopefully 2000 pounds one day so always looking towards the future but appreciative of where i came from coming for it and thomas do you ever see this kind of maybe just perusing the social media space where everyone kind of maybe it's a new thing maybe it's always gone on but people are always they're qualifying everything saying oh you know i squatted 700 for a triple today but you know I had really bad diarrhea last night, so I was just way off my performance. You know, I just wasn't me, and I know I can do so much better. And there's very little of kind of what Ryan said here, which is like taking a second to be like, man, like that was a huge lift. Like, I'm really proud of that. Do you think that's something that's indicative of the culture, individuals? I mean, I know we, we talked about this on a prior podcast. I, I think it's kind of the uh, the environment that we're in now where, you know, I can, without leaving my couch, I can get on my phone and pull up, you know, Dan Green doing 700 pounds for 20 reps on a high bar squat or something crazy, you know, and I, I've been to meets um, and, and not even super recently. Uh, and it's the speed at which the sport has progressed in the past couple of years. I mean, I, I remember watching, 
uh, 242s uh, struggle to squat six and 700 pounds back 10, 15 years ago raw. And now you got guys at 242 pushing to the, the mid eights and nines in, in some of the, uh, the more anything goes feds. And um, so I think it kind of jars our perspective. And so instead of looking at this like, hey, this is my, my 500 pound squats that I did today. And hey, man, it's awesome that I'm working out with 500 pounds on my back. That's, that's impressive. Everybody's thinking of the, you know, the, the Overton window from politics. You've heard of that. Um, our, our perspective is so skewed by these just incredible humans that we see on social media. We don't even have to go out of our way to find a, a video of somebody uh, lifting a small Volkswagen that, you know, for the average person, we can't appreciate the progress that we've made or the fact that we're doing better than literally 99.99% of the population who's trying uh, with lifts that would be mediocre by the uh, the standards of social media greats. You know, we can't all be Larry Wheels or Dan Green, so. And I'll throw this one to Ryan first, and then I'll, Thomas, I'll let you answer it as well. This is kind of what we see in every sport. When there's more attention and there's more money that's drawn into a sport, we see a greater amount of the genetic pool go into that sport, and we see results kind of amplify or grow at an exponential rate. We saw this with sprinting. All, all of a sudden, a lot of money and attention started to go towards sprinting, and then you had the Yusafa Powell's and the Usain Bolts of the world come out of nowhere and break all these world records. But with sprinting, we're starting to see it slow down. A lot of these Olympic records aren't falling as fast. Ryan, do you think that we're going to continue to see this trajectory of powerlifting where it's going to go from, like Thomas said, 110 kilos guys struggling with 600 now at 900? Are we going to start seeing 242s that can squat 1,000, 1050? Or are we kind of hitting that that plateau there? I think we're definitely nearing the uh, the edge of human performance in terms of what we can do at our respective weight classes. Uh, I don't know if we're going to continue to get that much exponentially better. Uh, I think we will, but not at the rate that we've seen. And I think a lot of that has to do with, like you said, the explosion of powerlifting in general, and now a ton of athletes who would have gone to play football or baseball or something like that are now actually taking up powerlifting. Yeah. Thomas, what do you think? Um, Well, I think that, the uh, the exposure fuels the growth, and, and like you mentioned with Olympic sports, uh, a lot of times when a major barrier is broken, you'll see um, sort of an acceleration in the average progress or what, what the standards are considered to be. Um, I think that with powerlifting, it's, it's going to continue. Uh, if we're specifically talking about the untested feds, I think it's going to go for longer um, in the IPF. Uh, it's going to depend on the advancement and the affordability of the drug testing. <laughs> I mean, um, we, we, you know, if, if you if you studied the history of powerlifting um, and, you, and you know that the IPF and USAPL's weight classes are structured different than the uh, untested feds, and that didn't used to be the case. And the, uh, the reason for that was uh, in IPF's uh, quest to eventually achieve recognition as an Olympic sport. They wanted to wipe the history books clean of some of the stuff that went on in the, uh, the seventies, eighties, um, before the, uh, the drug testing regimen was as established. There was a lot of, there were a lot of guys that set some really absurd records and then, uh, eventually were, uh, found out to be 
uh, skirting the rules with their uh, their supplementation habits and practices. Um, so, so there was a lot of that tainted records. Uh, same thing happened in Olympic weightlifting with the reorganization of the weight classes. All those those amazing Russian clean and jerks from the seventies are off the books now because the weight classes are different. Um, so, so I think an untested powerlifting. I think we're going to see this run out for a while longer until people reach the uh, the bounds of survivability with their drug intakes. And uh, and, uh, and I think in the IPF, I think we're already starting to see a, sort of a plateau as we get to the top of that curve. Um, I just, I really, I look at guys like Bryce Lewis and I, and I think like how much further can someone in 105 kilos take it? Um, yeah. You know, it may be the point where we've got multiple guys at that level battling it out for who has the best day and who can get that extra half a kilo. But I just don't see, I don't see how it's possible to have substantial increase above what some of those top guys are already doing. Oh. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Um, so, kind of back to the here and now, Ryan. What, what's next? What are the what are the future plans? When's the next meet? What are we headed towards? What's the goal? Talk me through it. Um, right now, just continuing to lift in a garage until all this goes away. <laughs> Very you know true. I mean? Very true. Uh, as far as the next meet goes, I think Thomas, we decided on uh, nationals. Is that right? I think That's we're looking at. So that'll be that'll be in a few months coming up if that's still going to happen. But that would be the next meet. In terms of any kind of goals for that, um, I think a 730-ish squad is reasonable. I'd like to just kind of improve my bench overall and get it somewhere in the 430, 440. And then I'd like to just pull over 700 and get over that 18 to, uh, 1800 total hump. So that's uh, that's the goals that we're looking at coming up. Reasonable, Thomas. Those goals jive with you. Yeah, I um, I'll be honest. I don't really set uh, immediate goals like that for my lifters. I I tend to focus more on on where we are in the process, and I feel like if we do the work and evaluate the needs and address them properly, the uh, the end state comes out. So you know, control the inputs, let the outputs be what they are, and. Um, and Ryan does a really good job with that. Um, we create some some basic structure and give him some uh, adaptability, the ability to modify within that structure, and, and kind of see uh, what comes out of training. Uh, you know, I don't write four weeks or six weeks or eight week programs. We write week for week, and kind of uh, and kind of see what comes out, what emerges, uh, adapt within that with kind of an eye on the end state. So. Um, no, I, I think I think that breaking 1800 would be a very conservative goal for for Ryan uh, if, if if we get to nationals if that happens. Um, I think that I think that realistically uh, an 1850 total is is there to take maybe more. Um, so I'm 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 on a weekly basis just astounded and surprised by what this guy sends me. So. Um, we saw the, the front squats from yesterday on the short week, a compressed schedule, still managed to thump almost 500 pounds for a triple on a front squat. So um, no shirt, no belt, just a pair of silkies. So, <laughs> That's the way so, to do it, man. Pretty, pretty. Onward we go. 
Onward we go to nationals. All right, Ryan, you've done a really good job. You dropped a ton, ton of nuggets for the people out there. But if you could kind of leave them with one last big piece of advice when it comes to going from someone who's very, very good at powerlifting, very strong, getting up to that elite status, kind of what would you leave the people with? I think the two things that I would say is, number one, be disciplined, because I like to think of discipline as the compass that would that helps guide me on the program and if I'm not disciplined and I'm constantly going off program and 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 what Thomas puts out for me then you know I'm just never going to get there and then the second thing I'll say is just be patient because this takes a long time we're talking you know years and years to get really really good so if you combine those two things patience and discipline you will eventually get there uh, but you have to take care of the discipline part first so that's exactly what I would leave you with Awesome. Terrific. Uh, tell us, tell the people more about where they can find you. So social media, coaching group, all that kind of stuff. Where, where can the people get in contact with you if they want, they want to look at you for coaching? So if you uh, search Ryan M underscore Patterson, you'll find me on Instagram. And then there's a link in the bio to our coaching page, which is called Milo Performance Systems. And you can find a ton of information there and, and kind of how we view programming and, and what we have to offer as well. Awesome. So definitely check, definitely check that out. Thomas, where can the people find you? Uh, I'm uh, Tomas, no H, underscore Neil on Instagram and uh, giftedperformance.com. You know it. Um, as always, thanks for watching. Like, comment, subscribe, the whole shebang. As always, you know, stay gifted.